voices sitting up here in the front. Um, the other day in my newsfeed, some picture of some incredible fish that we're discovering in the deepest recesses of the ocean came across it. And I thought, wow, that's, that's something I've never seen. So unique, so incredible. And when we're singing that song, How Deep the Father's Love, that image came to my mind to say, you know, we are on this journey that is pretty endless. Well, it's not pretty endless, it is endless, of discovering the depth of God's love for you and for me. And it is an endless journey. And we're going to continue to discover new uh, elements and aspects of how much He loves us. And we get to do that together. So that's so good. So thanks for reminding us of that powerful truth. Lord, would you be with us now as we open up your words in Scripture? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, the Bible's a little bit complicated at times. Um, you may have noticed, and we jumped back into the book of 1 Corinthians in our series called Healthy Body in a, in a, in a place where uh, it's a little complicated, and so uh, we got to try to untangle this a little bit. Um, basically, in this section, um, looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 8 last week and 1 Corinthians 9 this week, the Apostle Paul is talking about making sacrifices as, as brothers and sisters of the family of God, making sacrifices so that the people in relationship with us can have the gospel be absorbed more deeply into the fabric of their being. And so that people outside of the church can have an opportunity to experience the goodness of the gospel. Now the gospel is really the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been singing about it all morning. Um, God sent his son into the world so that we would know how much he loves us, that, he, that, that, that he's willing to, to give up his son for us. And the son loves us so much, he's willing to give up his life to go on the cross, to die in atoning death, to sacrifice for sin. Um, that's the gospel. So this is what we're talking about. This gospel, this good news, soaks into the fabric of our being. And over time, it soaks into, it's like, it's like that song, How Deep the Father's Love. It goes deeper and deeper over time, and it continues to have its healing impact upon us and to transform us and to grow us. And we can do things when we're in relationship with one another where we, we, we uh, inhibit that process. And so Paul's talking about, look, how do, you, how do you figure out how to encourage that process of the gospel being absorbed more and more deeply into the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ and into the lives of of people who haven't yet had a chance to come to know God through Jesus Christ. And so it's a little bit of a delicate community dynamic that he's entering into. Um, he's inviting us to, to forego things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others, for the sake of God. Now imagine this. Um, the passage that we looked at last week talked about people sacrificing food to idols and this becoming a stumbling block. And, and so this is sort of the context and the background of what we look at today. So let me just try to give you a picture. I want you to try to imagine, you know, you're somebody who lives in the city of Corinth and the city of Corinth was filled with idol worship and there are temples and places you could go all over the place and you could go and sacrifice make sacrifices uh, to these idols to get what you wanted or to maybe get what you don't want. Like if there's something that's going to happen in your life, you don't want it to happen, you go and make a sacrifice to the idol. If there's something that you really want to happen, you go and make a sacrifice to that. And the people in Corinth, 
they lived that way from probably many of them from the time that they just, you know, came on the scene. That was just what they did. When they had a problem, when they had a struggle, when they had a need, they would go and make a sacrifice to an idol. It was part of the fabric of their life. It was just the way that they lived. Then imagine, uh, and, and part of that was, was that they would, they, would sa- they would eat the food sometimes that had been sacrificed to the idols. So uh, now just really think about this. There are things that you do and that I do that come from our anxiety and our anxiousness, like ways of, of sort of dealing with stress, right? And so we don't go and sacrifice to idols. So that's why this sounds so strange to us. But we do other things. We have other idols that we go to in those moments of stress and strain and struggle and sacrifice. And, 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 and so th- this was for them what they would do. And part of it was to, to offer sacrifices um, by, by giving animals. And then that, the, the meat that was left over would be eaten by the people who were offering those sacrifices. So this was just part of the fabric of their culture and their society. It's the way that they live. But then, you know, the gospel comes in and, and people start to turn away from that approach to life and turn towards Jesus. And um, they're learning to trust in a, a living God, not a dead God who's represented in a physical idol, a statue, but a living God. And they're trying to stop this old habit of offering sacrifices when they're stressed out or anxious about something and to really put their trust in the, in the living God, right? And so that's the tension that they're in. And for some of them, um, that was a difficult, apparently that was a difficult tension. Uh, part of them, when they encountered struggle strain, wanted to go back and offer sacrifices. And so then, here's the thing, if a Christian brother or sister came along and had food that had been offered to an idol and was just going to have dinner with you, um, that could be a temptation for you to go back into idol worship, right? So, so that's the tension that's happening in the Christian community. And Paul is advising them. He's saying, he's saying look, yeah, you're free. He says, particularly in the passage I'm going to read in a moment, he says, an idol has no real existence. So these, these idols don't, they have no real existence. So you're free. You can eat the food that's sacrificed to an idol um, because you know there's only one living God and that these idols um, don't exist. But, he says, if doing so is going to cause your brother or sister to face unnecessary temptation to fall back into idol worship, to go to try to meet their needs by sacrificing to the idols, which they've done all their lives, if giving them food sacrifice to idols is going to cause them temptation and struggle, going to cause them to turn away from the gospel, then for the sake of God, for the sake of your brother and sister, don't eat the food with them. Because you want to encourage their ongoing movement towards the gospel to absorbing the powerful truths of the gospel into their lives we probably um have an easier time connecting with this uh with the subject of alcohol so if you have known somebody who maybe has an addiction to alcohol or their family they have lots of addictions to alcohol and so there's a potential or there is a propensity to make an idol out of alcohol, then you know that even though most Christians believe that as they read the Bible, you know, there's freedom for us to drink uh, alcohol, but you know that in that circumstance, the wise thing, the loving thing, the caring thing for you might be to refrain from drinking alcohol in the presence of that person so that you don't cause them to stumble, so that you don't bring uh, something in their way that would move them away from God and towards their past idol. 
right? That's really what we're talking about in this passage here. And so um, what Paul's saying, uh, that's what he's been saying in chapter 8. What he's, what he's going to say now in chapter 9 um, is he, he's going he's to share with them, look, this is the, these are the kinds of sacrifices that I make for the sake of the gospel. So I'm in this with you, he's saying. Say, I'm asking you to be ready to forego rights and privileges for the sake of the gospel so that it'll, it'll sink more deeply into the lives of the brothers and sisters around you and people outside the church. I'm asking you to forego something, but let me just tell you how I also forego things for the sake of the gospel. And that's what chapter 9 is really about. And, and, and what's going to happen as we study this text, we're going to be drawn in to the very like center heart motivation of the Apostle Paul, which reflects the center heart motivation of God, which is more and more reflecting the center heart motivation of you and of me, ordering our lives around the gospel. And that's the part where I think we're going to get some, some good stuff to really encourage us for today. So would you open up to 1 Corinthians 9? Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 23. And uh, I'm going to read them. We, we didn't read them ahead of time. And I'm going to make a couple of uh, comments as I read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can open up on your phone. There's a Bible in, the, in front of you. You can open up uh, in that Bible. Um, I personally find sometimes easier to see it in the text. You can see the whole thing at once on my phone. It's kind of small. But maybe that works really well for you. Um, and, and, uh, and I want you just to kind of sit with what he's saying here. And I'm going to help us to try to to grapple with it. So 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Uh, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul was the one who brought the gospel, this good news, to, to them. And uh, so he has a special connection to them. And uh, he's basically saying, look, my credentials as an apostle are sound. Um, and so with that apostleship comes certain rights and privileges. And he's going to articulate what those are uh, in this passage. And then he's going to share how he doesn't always make use of them because he wants the gospel to go forward freely. Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we, he's referring to himself and and his co-worker uh, Barnabas here. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord. So, so that's Jesus had brothers who came to faith and got involved in ministry with uh, the church. And apparently they were married. And Cephas, Peter... Uh, the Apostle Peter was married. We remember the story about Jesus healing his mother-in-law. Um, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And as we'll see is Paul and Barnabas, or we can see by going to the book of Acts, um, they had jobs that they did in addition to what was essentially their full-time ministry of going around and planting churches. They were, they were tent makers like we use that phrase metaphorically, somebody who works and does ministry, we call them a tent maker, but they were literally tent makers. They made tents to earn money to provide food for themselves so that they could go and offer the gospel um, freely uh, to others. So it'd be like they were, they were doing ministry and they were driving Uber at the same time to kind of make ends meet. Um, 
So, uh, so then he's going to give us in verse 7 a few examples of how this plays out in other realms of society. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So the vintner, the soldier, the shepherd, they all work away at their task, but they also are able to, to benefit from their work. They get to drink the wine or drink the milk that comes from the shepherd or the soldier um, gets paid by the military to be able to serve. Verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So now he's going to make the argument from Scripture. For it is written in the law of Moses, this comes from Deuteronomy, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? And as Martin Luther said in the 1400s, no, because oxen can't read. So this isn't for oxen, this is for people. As it was written, for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Uh, presumably, uh, he's saying this because they were the ones who actually founded the church there in Corinth. And others had come in after them, and they were serving them and ministering among them, and they were, they were having their needs met. The church was paying for their needs. And uh, so Paul's saying, well, we, uh, we were the founders uh, of this church. Nevertheless, he goes on to say in verse 12, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And then he'll give us another example of, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So here we're getting into the real uh, depth of it, the motivation uh, for Paul, sort of the, the clincher sentence, and there's going to be three or four of these. Um, he doesn't want anything to deprive him from uh, his ground of boasting, which is in sharing the gospel. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid, it is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Remember we're talking about sacrificing rights and privileges for the sake of the gospel. And all Christians have to do that uh, at various points in their lives and in various ways. And Paul's saying, look, I'm with you in this. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant. The word is actually slave in the Greek, but for obvious reasons, um, you know, translators of almost every English Bible translate that word as servant. But the word really is slave. And so it's, it says, it's, it goes to a different level of renouncing one's rights and privileges. Um, I have made myself a servant slave to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, 
that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may share with them all the people who are getting the gospel and it's absorbed into them and it's changing their lives and they're being healed and transformed and good things are happening and their eternity is secured so that I may share with them in its blessings. And nobody doesn't say there. He doesn't say, um, you know, so that I can be famous uh, or so that I can be successful. It's not even merely so that I can be obedient. He does it so he can share with those who receive it in their blessings. He just wants to get in on the blessing of people coming to know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be encouraged and fortified and strengthened in that blessing. All right, that's our passage. And I've got a couple of things I'd like to say about it uh, in the time that we have. The first thing I want to say, this is kind of a small point, but it, and it's sort of a sub point in this text. Um, I want to say thank you for caring for your gospel workers. To you, as the congregation, Solano Community Church, 18 years of our existence, thank you for caring for your gospel workers. As Paul says in here, that those uh, who work for the gospel uh, have a right to be supported in that work. He gives three arguments. One's from the secular world. He says soldiers. This is how it works with soldiers. This is how it works with the vintner, the one who makes wine. This is how it works with the shepherd. And then he has an argument from Scripture. This is from Deuteronomy. He says the oxen, you know, you don't, you don't muzzle the ox, oxen as it's treading out grain. You let the, the muzzle off so that they can eat, so they have the strength to do what they need to do. And then the argument from the religious sphere, um, the temple workers. Um, the temple workers are also provided for out of the work that they do in the temple. And so I just felt called and led to, to call that out, that this church, as a church, you've embraced this text and you have lived it out over these 18 years. We have lived it out over these 18 years. And that honors God. That's a good thing. Uh, that, and, and of course, personally, I have been, I mean, you know, you think I'm skinny now, right? Without that support, right? What would it be? Uh, and so, you know, you have, and, and you get to share in the blessing that comes from the work that is being done through those you have supported and encouraged. We have missionaries all over the world. That's one thing that's pretty amazing. And sometimes they come and they share. You get to share in the blessing of the ministry that they do. Um, we have, you know, pastors and gospel workers who've been part of this church. Who There's one in, in, in Minnesota now, and he took over this small little church, and it's tripled in size. It is expanding. People are coming to Christ. It's amazing. Another church was just planted this year in Texas as a result, ultimately, of you raising up a gospel worker in this community, in this church, right? Uh, think of the literally thousands of people who have come through the doors of this church, this sanctuary, whether it be here or Ocean View or in our original location at the Albany Community Center, Literally thousands of people have come through and we try to make sure the gospel is presented every single Sunday that we meet. And so all those people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's pretty huge. And you share in the blessing 
of how that has gone forth. And in 2007, you allowed me to help to plant churches in our region, Northern California, Northern Nevada. And from 2007 to 2017, uh, I was able to be a part of planting 11 different churches. And so that's your blessing too. 11 churches where the gospel is being proclaimed. Some of those churches uh, are, are, you know, over a thousand people. And, and so people are coming to Christ and good things are happening. And then since two, 2017 uh, to the present, you have enabled me to, to, to lead that organization. And in those years, we've, we've planted 70 churches across the United States. And those are lives that are being touched, people being transformed. Those are the blessings that you get to share in and to be a part of as this community, which sometimes being in this place feels so remote from seeing the blessings of God's work, but they're there and you get to share. And there will be people that you meet in heaven who will say, who will know that it was because of your work and your ministry that I came to faith in Jesus Christ. So praise God. Praise God for the work that he is doing in and through this congregation. And it means a great deal to me that you connect your presence in your existence to all of that larger work that God is doing and that you share in that blessing. That's the, that's the deep motivation that drives Paul in his intensity is he wants to share in the blessing. And anytime you are involved in ministry in this way, you get to share in that blessing. So this text is an opportunity to celebrate God's faithfulness, but it's also a call forward into the future. And, and, and I want to I wanna drill a little bit more deeply into the example that Paul gives us here and how this touches on your life. And so I've got what I'm calling a little bit of an aside here on the relationship between health, spiritual health, and living on mission. Let's grapple with it. This is a question that I think is oftentimes the elephant in the room. You know, we read, we read uh, passages like this one where the Apostle Paul says, for example, in, in, in chapter 9, verse 15, I mean, just listen to the intensity of the Apostle Paul. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things. So, so he doesn't even take a salary, you know. Um, he doesn't even take a salary from the people that he's ministering to because he, he just wants to be able to give to them Freely. And by the way, some of this work I'm doing is starting to take more and more of my salary, so I have to take less and less salary for you, from you all. And that's exciting to me. I'd love to work for this church for free. That would be amazing to me. Paul is, is much further down the road in that. He's not taking from them because his, he just, he, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And then he says later on uh, in the next verse, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You kind of get a flavor of Paul's intensity, his vision. Uh, and he, verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win more of them. And then at the very uh, end in verse 22 and 23, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And for many Christians, I think we read passages like this from the Apostle Paul, and it's difficult for us to connect with Paul's intensity. Anybody feel that way? It's difficult at times to connect with Paul's intensity. You look at that and you say, I'm not living like that. That's like too lofty. That's too crazy. That's too sold out. That's too intense. I'm just trying to do, do life. I'm trying to, you know, 
I've got my work concerns. I've got my health concerns. I've got concerns with my family. Um, and I've got other concerns. And I can't, I, I, I'm just, I'm underwater just trying to manage all of that. So how do I live like you're asking me to live, the scripture's asking me to live like the Apostle Paul, and I can barely just even take care of myself. And there's this tension that we hold when we look at somebody like the Apostle Paul. The example is so far and so amazing, and we don't know how. We feel overwhelmed and it seems like gospel sharing in the way that Paul's talking about is just not, it's just, we're just not ready. It's just not one of the essentials yet. And as a result, most of us end up thinking about health and mission, like spiritual health and living on mission, as being sequential. Once I get healthy and all of the problems in my life are solved, then I will live on mission. That's how many of us end up framing the situation. Um, but I would argue that part of what made the Apostle Paul healthy was that he lived on mission. And that's the transformation, that's the change that we have to be careful we don't miss as we think about spiritual health in our own lives. In our current cultural climate, you know, it's really, it's really popular to talk about being a healthy person. And, and that's good. I, like, I think we... There was a season when, you know, we just didn't, we didn't think about those things. Personal, emotional, spiritual health is one of the greatest felt needs of our day. Uh, but oftentimes we, we import that, the, the secular uh, popularity of that idea into our Christian faith. And so we come to the faith unwittingly um, thinking that the entire goal of our Christian faith is to become healthy. Now, I, I'm touching some sacred cows here, cows here I know. Um, because the, the Christian faith will make you healthy. In fact, there is no other way for you to become a fully realized, fully healthy person, you know, according to the scripture, than to dig deep into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's what's going to make you the most healthy. And then, you know, when, when all this is said and done and the world's over and all sin has been rooted out and we're in heaven, I mean, there is no greater health than that. So, Personal spiritual vitality and health is right at the center of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? So don't lose sight. I'm not saying anything against that. Um, so it's right there. But that health is rooted in a relationship with God and in relationship with others such that you can't be fully healthy if you don't care about God's design for you, which is to be a sent one, somebody living on mission, and if you don't care about the people around you in an eternal way. Without that, you won't enter into the deepest levels and the most, the most uh, wonderful aspects of personal spiritual health. So these two, I propose to you, are not sequential. You don't get healthy as a person and then you live on mission. They both happen at the same time. And they mutually reinforce each other. There's a synergistic relationship between you living on mission, being somebody who's thinking about sharing the gospel and bringing the gospel to other people, and you becoming healthy. And then as you're becoming healthy, you discover that you're more capable and more able to share the gospel with the people around you. It's not one, then the other. They both go together. And that's why Paul is what we would call a healthy person. Because he brings those together, and, he, and, he, and it's not even, I mean, it's not even about Paul, it's, it's ultimately about Jesus. 
We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Health and mission are not sequential. They are parallel. They are synergistic. And this changes the way that we think. True spiritual health comes as we pursue mission. In the early days of the church, I used to have a horrible time on Sunday afternoons after I would preach a sermon. And it would go, it would extend into Monday mornings usually. Uh, the sermon that I preached never met my expect- expectations um, the, we're getting the church started and, you know, the, the, the attendance, which is embarrassing to admit, didn't meet my expectations, you know. And I had poured myself out physically. And, you know, of course, there's a spiritual battle going on as well that I probably, as a younger, you know, pastor was not uh, fully aware of. Um, and so all of that combined to just really make Sunday afternoon one of the most depressing times of my life. Uh, and Monday morning would be, it would extend into Monday mor- morning, morning. It would be extremely depressing as well. And um, one of my mentors said to me, look, Andrew, um, here's what I want you to do. Uh, on Monday morning, I want you to get up. <clears throat> I want you to go out. Find somebody you can serve who cannot give you back in any way. Who has no way of repaying you for your service. And so he said, how about you go do Meals on Wheels? We had a very young church. Uh, we didn't have anybody over like 60 in our church. And so, you know, I wasn't around uh, elderly people. And so he said, go out and do Meals on Wheels. And so I signed up. I start every Monday morning. I would get up and I would deliver on Meals meals on Wheels. And I would come to the door and these people would answer the door. And we'd have this conversation and sometimes it would turn spiritual. And they could never, they couldn't give anything. A lot of them couldn't go out of the house. They weren't going to increase my attendance numbers. They weren't going to hear my sermon and tell me that I did a good job. Like this was just giving to them, right? And over, over time, um, that Monday morning um, cycle became a healing process for me. And I began to move away. Now, you know, I can bounce back by, you know, two, three on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. <laughs> because God has done, you know, this healing Work and part of the healing work was to be on mission. And then crazy things happened with those that count, that uh, uh, that uh, Meals on Wheels became our Count Me In project. We didn't even expect this. And twice a year we'd have a hundred people go out and serve in these homes and do yard work. And amazing things happened uh, in people's lives and of the elderly people because we were out there serving. We had all these young people and we'd go out and serve them. Crazy thing, pandemic killed the Count Me In. And so we, Ryan Gregory and I got together a few weeks ago to talk about how do we maybe restart Count Me In or does it look different or something? Kid you not, the next week and a half, four people that we used to serve called the church office to say, hey, are you doing that Count Me In thing? I really need help in my house. Could you come and serve me? So we're going we're gonna, to uh, do some guerrilla style Count Me In, I think, in the next little while. That's coming. Um, but we need, there's people that, that need help, right? And so anyway, but the point is, is that service, I became more healthy as I lived on mission. I became more healthy as I lived on mission. Mission and health go hand in hand. It's not one than the other. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in the blessing. That's health. Sharing with others in the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's do, church, let's do both better, right? Let's do both better. Let's do health better, spiritual health better, and let's do mission better, right? And we're going to see them working synergistically together. Um, Let's not wait to achieve perfection before we begin to live on mission. 
Not that anybody's doing that. I know many of you are very much living on mission. Okay, so what does it look like to be both healthy and on mission? Um, it does mean that we give up certain things. For Paul, it meant giving up these rights and privileges. He did not eat meat sacrificed to idols when it came, when it might cause another to stumble. He did not, he did not marry. He, he includes that as part of the thing. He says, this is why I, I want to be free to serve. And we, we saw that when we were looking earlier in 1 Corinthians. And he was a tent maker. He drove Uber along the side of doing ministry so that he would be able to serve the churches and plant new churches for free. And so, um, you know, we ask ourselves, uh, what have we given up? What are our sacrifices? And I bet a lot of you have things in your life that you've given up, um, made sacrifices for the gospel. Uh, and that's good. And we want to affirm that. And it's beautiful. I know there's things in my life that I have sacrificed. Uh, even on my journey into the pastorate, I grew up in a large denomination where my dad was a pastor and I was just fully connected in the, the, the flagship church and I had so many open pathways to, to really thrive and succeed in that denomination. But the gospel wasn't at the center. And so I left and I gave all that up and started in a new group of, of churches where I had no recognition, no, no place at all. Um, when I was going off to seminary, we had, uh, I had a full scholarship to go to the University of Chicago, but the gospel wasn't at the center. And so I went to a place that had no endowment, and I ended up with $35,000 of debt in the late 90s for going to seminary. Ouch, right? But God, in his grace, took care of it long ago. Um, and we make sacrifices for the gospel. As I was in ministry, my very first pastor is a church of 3,000 people. I'd been there for four years, and the senior pastor asked me if he wanted to make a succession plan for me to begin to take over uh, the church. And, and Jody and I just felt like, no, we, we're being called to Berkeley to plant a church, to go to a place where there are fewer churches. And so you have stories like that, too, in your life where you have made sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, so that others would be able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's good. Paul is affirming that that's the way that we live, and that is a good thing. And so what would it look like to bring together a healthy life that is also missional? And so I, I, I want to get really practical here in just the, the minutes that we have. It all starts, I think, with Sunday, when we gather together in this place to worship God uh, and to take Sabbath. Um, I think part of the reason that we don't live on mission and that we feel overwhelmed and exhausted is because we're not Sabbathing. We're not resting. We're not learning to resource ourselves in God. And I want to say, I said, I prayed about this last, I think it was last Sunday. I really, I'm seeing this vision for us as a church that Sunday is Sabbath. We all live in a society that never turns off. You are accessible 24-7 by your phone. There are no boundaries in our lives anymore. We have lost sight of a very significant truth that comes from the scripture. And that is a human being can't just keep going endlessly. You need rest. You need Sabbath. And so I want to encourage you to think of your Sunday as a Sabbath. Because out of your rest in the Lord will come mission and life and fruitfulness. But you got to take your hands off the control. Put the phone in the drawer and don't open the drawer for a whole day. I know it sounds insane. You will not die and you will be amazed at what you feel like at the end of that, those 12 hours. 
you will be amazed. Take a Sabbath. The Bible teaches us it's Sabbath to the Lord. So it makes sense that the thing you would do at the beginning of your Sabbath is you would come and worship. Because when you worship, you're going to get refocused. You're going to get centered on Jesus. And then the rest of the day, you take off and you can rest. And you, you, know, you come into the community of faith and you celebrate. I was telling Miguel, you know, Sunday morning, we need, it needs to feel like a, a, a Mexican fiesta, right? It needs to have that joy and that sense of relationship and presence because um, that's what God intends for us. And then it needs to have spiritual breakthrough moments. Somebody shared in our home group that last Sunday when Miguel had us just pray out like, you know, randomly at the end of service, thanking God that for this person, the, that prayer time caused something to shift inside. And this person made a courageous and difficult decision, decision as a result of that shift that took place inside. That's the power of the gathered church. And that's how you start your Sabbath. We come together. The Holy Spirit is present. We hear from God. Strongholds in our lives that have been causing us to struggle throughout the whole week get torn down and broken because we're praying for one another and we're worshiping God and the Holy Spirit is moving and, and shifts inside of us take place and, and we get rested and now we're ready for the week. You weren't ready for the week until you Sabbathed on Sunday. And then you enter into the week and you're refreshed and you're focused and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you, you, you just, you do your work well, excellently, um, as unto the Lord. Because God cares about your work. He cares about what you produce and what you accomplish in your work. And then as you're working, God is bringing you into relationship with other people. And you're like a missionary in that place because nobody else has those relationships. And so because you're filled and you've rested and you're trusting in God because of your Sabbath, you're moving through those relationships with a kind of intentionality. You're praying for these people. You're asking them about their lives. You're seeking to bless them when you have opportunity to make sacrifices for them, to give up rights and privileges for them, to bless them. And then you get to share with them about your life in Jesus and to tell them about the gospel. We call that PABS, to pray, ask, share, bless, tell. You live a life that manifests those rhythms in the people that God has brought into your sphere. You're uniquely positioned to do that. Nobody else can. I can't go there. Only you can. And you're rested because you Sabbath. And then you go to your home group some night in the week. And you've got some struggles at work or with your family. And, but you don't have to face those alone because now you're with uh, sisters and brothers who love you and know intimately what's happening. And you say, guys, I'm having a hard time this week. This happened at work and this happened at work. Can you please pray for me? And they come around you and they lay hands on you and they pray for you. And the Holy Spirit comes and you're filled with the strength of the Lord. And you go out from your home group and you keep finishing off the week in the strength of the Lord. Being somebody who loves others and somebody who does their work well and loves their family, right? And guess what? You get to Saturday, and I don't know, Saturday you do your household chores and the laundry and all those other things, and now we're back to what? Sunday. And you get to rest again. You get to rest. And you get to have a Mexican fiesta with your sisters and brothers in church, and you get filled, and God breaks down strongholds, and you get refreshed and focused, and you go out again. 
That's what it means, I think, to live on mission in this really complicated way. It's simple. It just goes back to the text, but we've lost sight of it. I'm, I'm struck by uh, Jesus. He said this. He said, uh, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Which is your deep craving and my deep craving, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what blows my mind. He says that to the people that come to him that he loves. He says that to them and then he sends them out on mission. The two go hand in hand, health and mission together. That's what we see in Paul. That's what we see in Jesus. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. So Lord, Holy Spirit, uh, would you come upon us right now and fill us with your empowerment, your strength. Would you heal the brokenness represented in this room? I know, I'm one of them, brought some hard things into this worship service. I'm There are areas where I'm struggling and I'm depending and I'm wanting and wishing and hoping and I don't want to go to idols to try to get that solved. I want to come to you, Jesus, in the community of faith and we want to come to you and we want to be healed. We want you to break through strongholds and strengthen us and empower us and then send us from this place to be your ambassadors in the strength of Jesus who who called us reminded us and told us, look, I know it sounds crazy what I'm calling you to do, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you will live this in me, you will find that to be true day in and day out. Because I love you with the deep, deep Father's love, Jesus says. And that's all you need. And we pray that you would do this in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.